Shalom and welcome to Progressively Jewish, the podcast where you explore Judaism through a progressive Jewish lens. Today we begin the second season of our podcast. Each week we will have a conversation with experts and colleagues and explore a theme inspired by a Torah portion. This week, the Torah portion Noach inspired us to talk about conservation and preservation. I am Rabbi Igor Zinkov from the Liberal Jewish Synagogue in London. And today I am joined by Alison Turner, the archivist of the Liberal Judaism in the United Kingdom, and Cassie Sachar, the senior librarian of Leo Beck College, the rabbinic school in London. Hello, Cassie. Hello, Alison. And uh, thank you so much for joining the Progressively Jewish podcast today. Um, this week, it is Parashat Noach, the famous story of the flood and the Tower of Babel. And one of the themes which appears in the portion is conservation and preservation. When something is about to be lost, how do we make sure that we preserve knowledge, experience, heritage? Um, and how do we make sure that what we choose to preserve is the right thing? And uh, this is why uh, we are joined today by um, two experts in this uh, field. And uh, I would like just to ask both of you to maybe to introduce your work. How do you see your work and what gives you, I would say, the sense of achievement in what you do? Um, Alison, would you like to say a few words about what you do as an archivist? Um, thank you, Igor. Um, I'm the archivist at Liberal Judaism which um, now has 40 congregations, mainly in England, but some in, in Scotland, Ireland, and also Copenhagen, with affiliations in Amsterdam. So I'm attempting to keep an eye on um, how that's all going and, and um, gather material primarily from the central organization, but also from the communities. Um, to support what they do and to preserve um, for future generations so we're not going over the same arguments twice so we know um, where we've been and how we got there. Um, I'm primarily a print-based archive at the Montague Centre which of course is closed in the current situation um, but I'm doing my best to um, answer inquiries from from my home. We, we're moving obviously towards more digital resources so that's been very helpful. We haven't digitized a large part of our collection as yet but we are looking into it. We've moved a lot of the more fragile material into the London Metropolitan Archive and they are open so that, that's been helpful. And what, what is the best part of your of your work as an archivist? what gives you the sense of achievement and maybe satisfaction as a uh, in your work um well i like doing the inquiry work i'm having researchers come to me and say things like 
um, can we look into the history of what did Judaism have to say on this particular subject and being able to find them something. Um, I mean, our oldest material is manuscripts from 1898. So we're covering 125 years now of uh, progressive Judaism, which means it can be challenging to find the right material, but it's very satisfying when we do. Yes, thank you. Uh, Cassie, what about you? Um, so I'm the librarian <clears throat> at Leo Beck College, where um, we teach rabbis and educators to go and uh, support uh, progressive Jewish communities around the world. Um, and we have an absolutely remarkable library to to support their their study um, and uh, their their rabbinate. Um, we've got about sixty thousand volumes, um, and my job really falls into to two parts. One is making sure that the students and the faculty and our researchers have um, the texts that they need to um, to do their learning and to do their research and to work through their ideas. Um, and the other part is to, very appropriately for th this podcast, is to um, protect and preserve um, the books that we have. Um, the library collection, um, every, every book has its own story and has come from a, 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 an interesting place. Um, and whether that's the, the person who owned it before it came to the library or where it was printed and how it ended up here. Um, and one of um, my, what I really enjoy is finding those stories and sharing those stories um, and connecting people with things that they might not have thought was, was relevant to them at all, but being able to, to build that connection, show them a different aspect of Judaism, of their Judaism, um, and to kind of uh, whet their appetite to, to find out more through, <clears throat> through what we have here in the library. Thank you. And for you personally, what is the best part of your work, of your job? Um, I think, I think it's, it's when you have, it's the serendipitous moments. It's when you have someone looking for something in the library and not only do they find the book that they need, but they find the person that they need, whether it's me as the librarian or a, a student or a rabbi or a scholar. It's, it's making the library a place where, where the voices in the books and the voices of, of people now can come together and to meet each other. And that's, that's enormously rewarding to be able to facilitate those connections and where those things lead. Thank you. Um, well, from the story of um, of the flood and Noah building the ark and saving um, lots of living creatures, um, we know that a lot have been saved. However, what makes me think uh, is the question about what was lost. And I'm sure that there is some bits of your expertise of your work which provokes a similar thought for you and I, I wonder whether the, is there anything which is not preserved today which you wish were here and we, you wish people were more thoughtful uh, about it and uh, and saved 
I think I have have, have kind of two perhaps contradictory opinions. Um, one of my sort of pet topics is the uh, illustration of medieval manuscripts and um, Hebrew manuscripts um, are an, an extraordinary um, thing to to engage with. Um, and the 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 real experts in these fields say that probably only about three or five percent of the Hebrew manuscripts that were were written by hand and illustrated by hand in the medieval world survive. Um, so you know a few thousand of probably a million items. Um, and having engaged with the the strange and wonderful illustrations, the dragons and the the, the drowning Jonah and these wonderful uh, visual interpretations of our our texts, um, I do. There's a part of me that wishes that more survived from from that time, and that we could see more of what what our ancestors looked like and felt the world looked like. Um, but what goes along with that that wish that that more survived um, was a, a comment by by an academic called uh, Colette Sirat, um, who was an expert in, in Hebrew manuscripts and paleography and code ecology, the study of, 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 of books. Um, and she talks about all the many, many reasons why Hebrew manuscripts didn't survive, um, whether it was persecution of the Jews or book burnings or floods. Um, but she says all these sort of reasons that the books didn't survive. The main reason that they didn't survive is because they were used. It's because our ancestors use their prayer books to pray and use their chumashim to study. And for me, that's just beautiful. You know, that's, that's. I, I think I actually take heart in that, that despite the vicissitudes of Jewish history and how that affected um, at what, what does survive, that actually when it comes to our books, you know, often it was because we just read them until they had to be buried or go in the Geniza and, um, I kind of take take heart heart from that. Thank you, Cassie. Um, Alison, is there anything you wish we had preserved? I mean, looking back, the the loss of the Library of Alexandria in ancient times was a a huge loss. People say it might have set back civilization by a thousand years, but um, that again is down to the burning. It looks like that's how it was lost but that was a huge loss in the um the modern era one thing i mean i found various communities uh have suffered not keeping proper records i mean there was a bet Israel, for example doesn't seem to have records of its early times which is an enormous shame as the, the first synagogue particularly for gay and lesbian um, bisexual transgender people um, nobody seems to have kept a record. So I've got other cases where there was a community that, that did have records when the centenary history was being written. And then a few years later, when they had another anniversary, they couldn't find anything. And it looks as though it was in somebody's garage or somebody's spare room and they died and, and the family didn't realise what it was. And, and it's just gone. And um, 
that's quite frightening and, and scary and encourages me. What I've been doing this week is going through what I've got in the archives and how many communities there are. And I'm finding quite a few where the community has been going for quite a time and there's a good website, but there's nothing in, in the Montague Centre archives about it at all. So that's something that I'm going to have to address. Well, what I, I, I try to put myself in the shoes of, uh, um, of a community which has just been established. And uh, I can see why you don't think about uh, archive and preservation of knowledge, because normally it's, um, which is many people call now startup community, which is just being established and you are busy with organizing, uh, with community organizing. And uh, I wonder, and, and, and of course, now we, we wish they have thought about it uh, then. Um, my question is, is there any advice which you can give uh, to uh, Jewish organizations, people, um, so both on an organizational level and on a personal level as well, uh, which would be helpful for future generations? Because to keep every single piece of paper, I don't think it's very practical. Although we can, we can of course, we can learn so much about, uh, about the time from just um, everyday papers. Um, but still, how do you choose between useful knowledge, which we need to preserve, and something which perhaps should go? I think it's a it's a very difficult choice, and I think that's especially true with archival material. Where you and and I'm sure Alison can can say more because whether something is useful or not really depends on the researcher who's who's looking at it, um, and sometimes the other information they have and their their powers of interpretation. Um, you know, if you have a a list of attendees at a meeting, um, if you know who those people are. It, and if you knew them personally or if people have memories, that can be a very different experience than if they're just names on a, on a piece of paper. Um, I think that, I, I mean, I, I think that there's no point, well, not no point. You want, we want to preserve items of, of, of import. I mean, with physical material, we need somewhere to put them. But I think if you just have a locked room full of things, they're not doing anything. So I think if you have, if you can't save everything, which you probably can't, keep. I, th I would say keep things that tell your story. Keep things that you want to share with people, um, and that you can that offer a way in to your organization for people for people within it and for people from the outside um i think also in the in the the digital world it, these days you know if you are starting up a community now everything is going to be via email um and digital documents um and just save them put them in a file <laughs> um because a researcher can come along and 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 keyword search but i think people have a very strong relationship with objects and I think and that goes for pieces of paper and books and letters um, and handwriting if you have handwritten materials um, you see the human being 
you I, I think you know not that you can interpret every 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 loop but here is a real trace and it's why manuscripts are so exciting here is a real trace of a person who touched this piece of paper which you are now interacting with so i think if you have handwritten materials they're they're, they're worth uh, they're worth keeping Alison, do you have an advice for people and organizations yes i agree with cassie um, completely you want things that tell your story um, as far as communities are concerned we, we, um, we particularly go for things like minutes of meetings photos of the community synagogue magazines um, press cuttings I mean I have difficulty with manuscripts I mean yes we love manuscripts but then I get the situation where I'm looking in a minute book and I'm thinking this handwriting is very difficult to read I wish there was a typescript <laughs> and uh, the physical document is is um you know there's preservation problems as well but um I do wonder sometimes, I mean, I've got things on old computer disks that people no longer are able to read and, and old formats. I mean, people, I, I personally, I have a video recorder, but I know not everyone does these days. Last time I presented somebody with an audio cassette and a, a player for it, they looked at me as though I was completely mad, <laughs> still remembering this old technology and read the transcript and were perfectly satisfied with it. But I think the sound of someone voice is um, also very valuable and helps to to bring the story closer what is the best way to preserve knowledge and heritage how do we do that i mean what we need um most is to preserve a material from deterioration so it needs to be kept in um Room, you know, controlled humidity and temperature would be absolutely ideal. Um, dust free. Uh, you can get specialist archive boxes um, to put material in. It needs to be kept away from, um, from dripping taps. And I know some communities have suddenly have uh, found leaking radiators over their archive boxes, which was very worrying. You want somewhere dry, not too warm, not too cold, um, and protected from from rodents or, or um, insect damage. You can get special um, glassine envelopes for photographs, for example. Um, archive folders are our cardboard. I mean, one of the things that we've had difficulty with is people sellotaping minutes into old minute books and the sellotape deteriorates. I mean, that's really not a, at all a, a good way of doing it. It's very interesting that um, different qualities of paper, some of them, some of the older material was printed on, on uh, paper of better archival quality than some of the later material. So you can get special archival paper. Um, a lot of people these days are digitizing in order to get away from these problems and, and to deal with, with some of the earlier material and try and restore it. There's, there's programs now that will read handwriting as well as, as typescript 
which could be very helpful as, as a way forward. What you want is an archive folder that you can copy the emails to and the minutes to, to keep them separate from all the things that just say, well, shall we meet Tuesday or Wednesday? But it's not of any archival significance at all. I think I think I absolutely agree with Alison. You you need and you can get you know pr proper archival storage, but I think also you need a human being. You know, you got you you asked, do you need an archivist? You need someone who not only has the expertise, but who cares about these things. Because if they care about them, they're going to make sure that they're protected. But they also become the voice for them. They become the, the conduit between the objects and the people who they can inspire, they can educate, who they're being preserved for. And I think it's like any good teacher. Um, you you enable people to have a relationship with that object that piece of history that that to make it meaningful for them you know i think there's a tension for librarians and for archivists between preservation and access between um making sure you keep your your precious sometimes unique item safe um and that it will last for many many generations but and between doing that and allowing people to actually read it and to see it. Um, and I think and maybe this is controversial. Sometimes the difference between librarians and archivists because of our training is that librarians tend to come down on the side of access and archivists on the side of preservation. Um, but I think that you need you need a person in, in, in that mix to make sure that those things aren't just preserved in a vacuum but are preserved that they also have a life and, and, and um, a, a meaning for um, the, the community that they belong to and for people, uh, you, know, you know, whoever wants, wants to engage with them. I will be very provocative now, but that's deliberate. Uh, so there is a school of thought which say uh, that history is important, but you can't really use lessons from the past and apply them for to our days because our days are completely different well i can say that i recently graduated from a rabbinical school and i never thought that the powerpoint skills and uh, the live streaming skills and the ability to use zoom and other digital technology uh, will become my synagogue will become my uh, tools for work. What would you say to those people who think this way, that history and knowledge from the past is useless? Again, I am deliberately provocative. I think if you ignore history, then you tend to, to find yourself wanting to do things and explore questions that have already been explored and, and questioned in the past. And where there's a certain amount of, well, this is a new situation, what was appropriate then is not appropriate now. There are also lessons, but um, battles that have to be fought over and over again if people don't understand that this question has been gone into and, and these, you know, the knowledge that, that people have gained from that. I, th I think people who, who reject history, I think it's very arrogant. <laughs> I think the challenge is not to be 
stifled <clears throat> or overwhelmed by history and by the weight of all of that. And sometimes you, the feeling is to reject that so you can move forward, but to examine the past, to learn from it and to take it forward um, into your decision making. Um, and I think we're not so different from our ancestors. Well, I'm thinking this is really the whole challenge of liberal Judaism to take the best from the past and consider how it applies to the modern situation that we find ourselves in and to accept some things and to say other things were of rare time and not so relevant now. But if we don't know what went on in the past, then we're missing out on our whole traditions and our whole history. And I suppose, you know, Jewish Jewish thinking as, as a whole, you know, we looked into the, the story of, of our people and, and, and found meaning there. Um, and that doesn't devalue or make any less unique our personal circumstances now, but our role as human beings, probably as well as Jews, is, you know, to look at our lives and, and ask, you know, is what we're doing meaningful? Does, does, are we, you know, making the most of that opportunity in, in the world that we are now? And what did people do in the past in, in the same challenges? I can see parallels with the Torah portion because what happened in the beginning was the flood and the attempt to um, wipe out or destroy the past, uh, whatever was maybe not useful or not good enough, and then begin from scratch, begin and begin again. But then at some point you come to a conclusion that you can't really ignore the past. You, the only thing you can do is to... Um, acknowledge it and maybe to try to heal the traumas from the past, but not to get rid of it completely. And this, this symbol of rainbow as the promise of keeping the past is what how I see the story of Noah. Probably that will be the last question which will end, but it's it's not an easy one for me personally. So sometimes we have moments in our past as Jewish people which are not very pleasant. And there are different strategies. And progressive synagogues often choose to ignore certain parts of our history and texts and only focus on the texts and history we like. Do you think it's the right strategy? I mean, there's a lot in the, the Bible and the stories that we read about the Jews wiping out other people for example at the end of the, the poem story and I know um, rabbis have said some people tend to to finish their reading before they get to that part exactly not to disturb people but it, it's important I think to understand that these things have happened and to know that we um, now however much we like to think of ourselves as always being in the right but um we are capable of, of doing bad things and to learn that it could happen it could happen again I mean we're, we're, um, we're, we're commanded over and over again you were strangers in the land of Egypt so be kind to the stranger we need to acknowledge the, the bad parts of ourselves as well as the, the good parts of ourselves in order to be able to um, to overcome those bad parts.
if we don't recognize that bad things have happened then we're we're missing important lessons about well, why they happened and how we can prevent them happening in the future i think alison's absolutely right we we you, you, one can always choose where you place your emphasis um but i think there needs to be space and maybe it's a question of making space to look at difficult things um and to question why we find them difficult and what does that mean for us and as we were saying before exactly to look at the context of the past and compare it to where we are now and why we are uncomfortable and how we want to be be different um you know one school of 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 judaism you know on the on the right wants to keep everything absolutely the same and that's how they feel there will be continuation in the progressive jewish world the focus is on renewal and reinterpretation and innovation um as a as as a way of 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 continuation um and i think judaism is huge jewish law jewish history jewish culture and criticizing something acknowledging its existence is not necessarily a rejection or a break with the past it's part of a process of change and it's not always loss is not always negative if it's part of a process of change i think as as long as there's there's honesty and integrity um in the process thank you very much and i think that this conversation will help some people i'm sure to to navigate in this difficult world of understanding our past preserving our heritage and uh, maybe looking into the future with this perspective of conservation and preservation of what is happening today and um, thank you very much um Alison and Cassie thank you thank you lovely to talk with you both Today's guests were Alison Turner and Cassie Sachar. Thank you so much for such a fruitful and thought-provoking conversation. And also thank you to Liberal Judaism, Reform Judaism and Leo Beck College for supporting Progressively Jewish. If you listen to this podcast and think that you can become a guest or you have some thoughts about how to make this podcast the best for you, please email us at progressivelyjewish at gmail.com and let us know how we are doing. See you next week. Thank you for listening. Thank you.